Hello friends, this is Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo, bringing you another episode of the Dialogic Podcast. Hope you all are doing well. Today's June 19th. A recently created federal holiday commemorating the official end of slavery. And that's a wonderful thing. It's summertime. It's time to enjoy some freedom. And the end of slavery is uh, something certainly to celebrate. Lots of lives were lost to achieve that lofty goal. It was a part of human history that needed to end. And thankfully, It did. We still have a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of things to accomplish, but I think every time that we achieve something great, like ending slavery, that is something to remember, a moment to mark in time. And so shout out. Shout out to everyone who agrees with me. That uh, Juneteenth is a very important holiday, and I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, didn't want. I'm not. I don't want to get too serious in this podcast. I want to talk to you about some fun things. I have a tendency to get serious. I think, and sometimes I just have to remind myself to smile. Be grateful. Things could be much, much worse than they are. And there's so many great things happening and on the horizon that are coming into being. A lot of it has to do with our attitude, the way we look at things. And smiling is just a part of that. You know, I think that I notice that sometimes when I'm focusing on something when I'm doing something that maybe is not part of my normal activities. I get kind of serious. And, you know, I've been going through some processes of dealing with some serious things. Um, Yesterday was Father's Day. First Father's Day that I've had without my dad. And You know, so there's been a lot of things that were not very happy in this past half a year, past little chunk of time, but there've been a lot of great things too. And you just got to make a decision, which way are you going to go with your energy? Are you going to bear down, grit your teeth and focus on the tough stuff and I think it's important to be able to do that, too. I think there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that there are serious things happening in the world and taking them seriously. But we don't want to let that get in the way of joy and happiness. Because after all, that is what is going to make life more livable. Isn't it? 
isn't that what we really strive to do? You know, isn't that really what the goal is, is to live a happy life? There's so many things we think might bring us that happiness, but really we bring that happiness to life. And sometimes it just takes a little reminder to switch things around. And it can start with something as simple as just smiling. And then, you know, you can feel that you were out of focus, that you had a different energy driving you. And, you know, something as simple as a smile can make a big difference to another person. Uh, The other day, there was a tremendous amount of traffic that was unexpected, and my daughter and I were stuck in it. The gas tank was on low, it was getting close to being on empty, and it could have been a very stressful situation. A, A truck had upended on one of the roads, and so... Everybody was getting turned back around, but I took that moment to decide, hey, I'm going to make some friends here. Started seeing how many people I could get a positive response from who were driving in the opposite direction. And that, you know, you can't expect anything from other people because their traffic is a bummer. We all know that. Being stuck in it is pretty uncomfortable. But I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to just smile at folks and see if they smile back. And many, 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 many people had a positive response, even though it was a really awful situation. In fact, I even got a high five from somebody. Our windows were down. We were in a part where the lanes came close together. I stuck my hand out the window and I said, High five? He looked at me like, huh? He goes, yeah, give me a high five. Just that little tiny gesture, that little moment of connection can make a big difference. And so sometimes it's not big things, it's little things that can make uh, your day better and make other people's day better too. And I just want to uh, remember that sometimes and keep that in mind. It starts with a smile. It starts with your own energy. You know, and that requires having the courage to understand yourself, to know yourself, which is, I think, a noble goal. Because then you have the ability to have control of yourself which then means that you can decide what type of energy you want to bring. And so I've been doing a new project that I'm going to tell you a little bit about, and I have a couple of new things in the works as well. I started a series called People of Santa Cruz. It's an interview series, a portrait project, and I'm going around finding people who want to participate. Then I have a series of questions that I ask them. I do a video of that uh, series of responses. And then I, I do their portrait. And then I publish these things 
as a blog on my website, jjthomasphoto.com, under the category People of Santa Cruz. I firmly believe in my own work as a photographer, as a writer, as a podcaster, as a thinker, as a marketer, that people are the most important subject. I love the landscape, but to me, the landscape is just the setting. I love events. I love actions, but what are they without the people who who make them happen? You know, ultimately, people are most compelling to me. I really enjoy imagining what it would be like to come from a different point of view, what drives people to do different things, how we all process the world in different ways. And the experience of being human is what makes people so interesting. And there's a tremendous mystery to that. And so I've really enjoyed this portrait series and uh, I want to give a huge shout out to everybody who's participated in that so far. And so far I've published 12 of them. I started a couple of weeks ago. My goal is to do one a day, but you know, maybe I'll realistically get five a week done. It all depends. It all depends on how much time I have and how much ability I am able to bring to the project. Part of the goal of the project is to do video more frequently so that 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 workflow becomes more natural and faster. I think that video is a really powerful medium, and it's part and parcel of what I want to do. You know, my goal, my dream is to write um, a bunch of plays. I I'm becoming Shakespeare, baby. I'm a <clears throat> I'm a Jakeoff. You know, I'm the next playwright you need to know about, and I'm working on a play right now. But the portrait series is great practice in learning about dialogue. After all, this is the Dialogic Podcast, my friends. It's all about dialogue. It always has been, even though most of these podcasts are solo. That's mainly because it's so hard to get a schedule going with folks consistently with production, a place to do it. There's a lot of challenges to doing a podcast. So shout out to everyone out there who is. I've been following podcasts for the last dang near a decade, I would say. And it's pretty impressive how a lot of them have grown, what they've become, and the possibility in this medium. I love it because it's, you know, it's primarily audio. There's a visual component to it if you do a video, but you don't have to. You can just do an audio podcast. and People can listen to it while they're doing other things. So that is... Uh, why the People of Santa Cruz project ties in 
kind of beautifully with the Dialogic podcast because I'm collecting these interviews, um, studying how people speak, um, delving into something about their experience. And it's also a portrait of Santa Cruz through the people who care about it, who think about it, who have opinions about its past, present, and future. I think it's a very interesting time for Santa Cruz. I think it's an interesting time for all of us, for the human the human race in general, all peoples. Um, you know, we're coming out of a very intense event that was unprecedented in our lifetimes. I'm quite sure that anyone who is alive today has never experienced anything as surreal as the pandemic. You know, there were, there have been things in human history to rival that, of course. There was most recently the flu of 1917, which also caused a massive shutdown of society. I think that this one was different, though, because there was so much more media, so much more communication about what was happening, which has led to all kinds of debates. But what I'm interested in is how we move on from that chapter and what we decide to do moving forward. Are we going to learn from anything that happened? Is that going to be a part of what is good from what was tough? You know, I think that hard times are just a part of life. And I don't believe that there will ever be a period of history without challenge, without obstacles, without major things that we have to overcome. And so these are our hard times, my friends. And we can make what we want out of them despite the challenge. We can forge a new path forward, and if anything, I believe it is an opportunity for us to reflect and to think and to make a decision, a lot of decisions about how we want things to be in the future. And that partly, you know, part of what I think is a lesson that I am learning from that whole experience is that there are different levels of things that we need to pay attention to. There are global problems and potentials. There are national ones. There are regional ones. We belong to a state. We belong to a county. We belong to a city. We belong to a family. We belong to a group, all of those layers have the potential for good things to happen. And they all also have their own challenges, their own sets of obstacles and difficulties and things that will make us stronger if we confront them. But part of what 
I believe we need to do is to put more energy into participating on the more local levels. And that that's partly why I'm doing the People of Santa Cruz project. I think that there is something universal about these answers. And that's also part of the question that I'm asking is, is designed to get into a universal experience of being human. But there's a very specific set of attributes that make Santa Cruz specific in this time. And so I'm focusing on the local. Do you remember there was for a period of time, maybe during one of the waves of uh, the environmental movement was a phrase. And, you know, these phrase, this is before Twitter, but even then it was, it was bumper stickers that people relied upon to try and condense these thoughts in a meaningful and catchy slogan. And what people used to say was think global act local. That was a bumper sticker you would see designed to try to motivate and inspire some sort of responsible, effective thought action, right? Thinking about global consequences. I think this was early in the environmental movement when there was kind of more faith in the idea that we could actually make a difference. That if we thought about the global issues and we put into practice some local policies that we could move the needle in a direction that we felt was going to be beneficial. I don't think that that has gone away entirely, but I do believe that it's become a little bit more complicated. And the reason is because people have uh, very isolated belief systems. Not everybody believes in climate change. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we're experiencing global warming and that that's going to make storms more intense. And, you know, um, I've been reading the book Under a White Sky by Elizabeth Colbert, who came to UCSC and did a talk with Ezra Klein about the book and about some of the issues that she brings up. And she, you know, was adamant about not really having solutions to the problems, but she was pointing to, and the book does a beautiful job of painting the picture of things that we've done over a long period of time to try and change the natural world in a way that is conducive to our local goals, to our economies, to our where we want to live. And, you know, <clears throat> she talks about the <clears throat> the attempt to control the Mississippi River. Um, she talks about the attempt to keep carp out of the Great Lakes. These things are massive problems. And people have, you know, different, very expensive solutions to them. 
But as much as I think it is very important to understand the problems, I think it's even more important to come up with the solutions. And that is something that we can do if we make a practice of it. And part of that, I think, comes from this kind of energy. You know, it's, I gave myself a writing challenge recently to take the headlines of NPR's morning edition and to write something about them before I listen to the show and then to listen to the show when I'm doing, you know, some exercise or editing or something where I can have my ability to listen. And so much of the news of the headlines are tragic. You know, there are shootings, there's the attempt to take away women's rights to abortion, there's the transphobia happening in the world. There's a lot of really, really fucked up things happening. But what I found is through the process of writing about those things, it immunizes me against the depressing reaction to them. And in other words, once I get used to the idea that of course, every day there's going to be more bad news. You have to take that as, it's almost like doing hills, you know, like getting exercise by climbing up hills. Yes, you know it's going to be a upward challenge every day. But as soon as you recognize that, you get stronger from doing it. And then... It doesn't seem like a negative thing. It seems like a potential to get stronger. I see the same thing happening with my approach to the news. When I go and look at what's happening on the national level, on the international level, it doesn't depress me. It doesn't make me sad. It doesn't make me tired. It makes me realize that there's a lot of work to do and a lot of strength to be gained and a lot of strength is needed to take on looking at the problems because every problem is also a set of potentialities. There's possibilities in every circumstance. And as soon as we understand what's happening better, we can do the work of dreaming, of creative thinking to come up with new solutions to those problems. And that requires, you know, facing what's happening and seeing what's going on. And so that actually has become a really fun process for me, even though it's, of course, mixed with emotion because these awful things continue to happen. But I am resolute in my decision to face them and still to remain hopeful, not positive, but hopeful and uh, dogged, dogged towards the attempt to work through what those problems mean, how they can be 
made better. You know, it's only through a relentless pursuit of solutions that our creative thinking will really reach its full potential, which will eventuate in much better options for the future. And, you know, time is... Time is about the present moment, but we have to plan for the future. We, you know, we, re we resolve things from the past to become more present so that we're able to consider what may be coming in the future so we can strategize and work towards living in a way that will make us happier, more useful, more fun to be around, more creative, etc. And <clears throat> so while I do pay attention to the news, I also participate um, in a local way. And I really enjoy also just kind of the, the challenge of going out with the camera and a microphone the intention of collecting interviews and trying to read people in the same way that, you know, in the traffic, I'm trying to smile at people and get a positive response out of them. I take that same kind of approach, the same energy to collecting these interviews. I am not out there to, I'm not playing the gotcha game. I'm not trying to catch anybody doing anything they don't want to show the world. I'm trying to showcase some of the people who make up this place that I love. And I think that's a really fun, interesting challenge. Um, and it, it heightens my senses. It makes me tune into energy, to how people are carrying themselves and how they, it also, makes me aware of my own energy and how people are responding to me. And so that is a valuable practice on the local level with the goal always to make something fun and cool for other people to, to look at, to view, to think about, to learn from, to be inspired by, hopefully. And so that's, uh, that's what that project is about. And besides that, I'm also getting much more active and interested in the art scene again in Santa Cruz. Um, I've always been a participant in the art world to an extent, but there was a period of time where I was very active with the Felix Culpa Gallery, um, put on a bunch of shows there showed my own work there, showed some of the professors up at UCSC at the gallery, did poetry readings there. And, you know, it's uh, been fun to get back into it and to go and look at what what's happening in the art world. And I think that there's never been a better time in the Santa Cruz art world than now. I see what I see happening is very, very exciting. There's a ton of great work you know, and I think that partly it is 
amplified by our digital culture in two ways. One, artists are able to reach a wider audience, though it's not easy, I have to say. I think a lot of artists struggle with growing their following, and that is its own topic and its own challenge and question that I grapple with and work on and want to figure out better. And so I invite any kind of discourse surrounding that. That's part of the ongoing topic of this podcast and of my work is as artists and small businesses, how do we get more of our message out to more people so that the local can continue to thrive? You know, I'm a big advocate of small businesses and artists are among those that I value the most. But I value all small businesses and I think that that is such a huge part of what makes our culture strong and good and interesting. And it's always um, under the threat of being, you know, taken away, of being wiped out. Business is tough. Business is a challenge, but people are very, very innovative and people are also aware, I think, of how important those things are. So you see a lot of support, at least in attendance to art events. And uh, I've been recently writing some reviews as well of uh, theater and art exhibits. And there's something that, similarly to giving yourself the writing exercise of writing about the news, not just passively consuming it, but forming your own opinion about it, gives you more energy related to the topics. It gives you your own, you have to form your own point of view. You have to have your own take. And so I will share some of my takes towards the end of this podcast, but right now I'm just describing what that process does. And when you do that for, say, you go to see First Friday, if you just go around and check it out, that's great and nothing wrong with that. And that's a wonderful thing to do because that participation, the attendance is very, very valuable to the whole process. Now, there there is a hierarchy, though, of value that you can add to the process. If you go and take photos, post it on your Instagram, post it on your Facebook, talk about your favorite artists, talk about your favorite businesses, that is a step above. You know, support your local business, support your local artist, but also tell other people. Doing that makes it much more possible for people to thrive and to grow and to create better things. You know, if you want a better culture, talk about the parts of it that you like and they will grow. So writing about the art also, besides the fact that you're helping other people to get their work out there, it gives you a much deeper experience of the art in that Taking the time, for example, I went and saw Tyler Spee's series at the, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the name of the gallery right now, but it's 
It's right by Mobo in sort of the Trader Joe's parking lot complex, the Galleria. Um, and if you if you go just check out that area, you'll find there's a very cool print shop and gallery right there. And Tyler Spees had his showing of paintings that I went and saw and photographed and did a short interview with him. And that gave me more material to dive deeper into the work. And when I did that, I found it to be super interesting. He had this whole series that <clears throat> started with, it was vomiting out his guts. And it started with these caterpillars, a painting of these caterpillars crawling into his ear. And then there was a painting with his face cut off that showed this world of guts behind his face with the caterpillars in cocoons now. And then he vomits out his guts and the caterpillars have turned into little butterflies. And then he becomes this figure that is entirely made up of guts. And so that series if I had just gone and looked at it, I probably would have admired it on its technical level of thinking that, you know, this is very cool. It's a very good painting, kind of a comic book style illustration with pen and ink and acrylic. And I would have appreciated it on that level. But by taking the time to write about it, I delved deeper into what the subject matter was and saw that this series of self-portraits was kind of in the tradition of Van Gogh, you know, starting with the fact of his cutting his face off, alluding to Van Gogh cutting his ear off, and the, the idea of these fun guts being also a way of talking about the courage of making art and the transformation of doing art. Um, gave me a, a lot more of an interesting take on the subject matter. And I was able to write a blog about it that I thought was, you know, really good. And so that's kind of what the purpose of doing that is. Um, yeah, as you can check out my blog at jakejthomasphoto.com. You can find a whole bunch of cool stuff like that there. But I've also been writing for the Sentinel. I, I got to review uh, Mountain Community Theater's The Viewing Room. And that was a really fun play to go and check out a rehearsal and then to go see the opening night. And this week I'm going to be interviewing some of the folks at Shakespeare Santa Cruz. Very excited about that. I got to review the play or the opera La Boheme put on by the Santa Cruz Opera Project. And just by taking an active role culturally, <clears throat> by writing about what's happening and, you know, taking it a step further, I'm finding a lot more value in that experience and that process. Now, <clears throat> writing might not be your thing. Doing photography might not be something that you feel 
confident about, there's something that you can do that's even better. You could buy the art. That is something that <clears throat> completes the circuit for an artist. Selling out the shows, buying tickets, buying tickets for your friends, buying a painting, buying some prints as gifts for your friends. Doing that makes the art world move forward. As much as <clears throat> people like to talk about how many artists per capita we have here, which is great because there's no limit to the creativity and the potential there. What we really need is we need we need art collectors. I think including the museum, we need to start collecting the art of Santa Cruz and taking that part of the whole circuit seriously. And not just open studios, but all year round. When we push that level of the art world forward, you're going to see a major revolution in the quality and the type of art that we create here. As soon as we give enough artists, there's a tipping point to everything, right? Before New York became a center of the art world, it wasn't a center of the art world. I'm not suggesting that we will be or could be that here, but certainly Santa Fe wasn't as big of an art market before George O'Keefe went there and before people associated with George O'Keefe discovered the talent there and opened galleries and museums. And now it's, I think, the third or the fourth largest art market in the nation. So Santa Cruz <clears throat> has a lot of untapped potential, and a big part of that depends upon you to go out and see the work, talk about the work, share the work, and buy the work. That is the part of the circuit that will make it <clears throat> ultimately grow into something <clears throat> much more substantial. So that is uh, something you can do to make your culture stronger, to make your culture more vibrant and interesting. And at the same time, you'll be creating an art collection. Now, one of the things about art that is very, very powerful is it appreciates, you know, and uh, not all art is going to gain more value over time, but most of it will. And simply by purchasing and storing and showing art, you are investing in a way that is likely to become more valuable. You know, because, say, 50 years from now, the art museum is much bigger. There's more of them. We get a contemporary art museum. There's plenty of money in the area for that to happen. I don't think that's at all beyond the range of the possible. And in that case, <clears throat> say you had collected Jake J. Thomas originals 
that whole time. And you had, you know, 50 of my prints. Well, these may be requested by the museum for a show. You may be able to sell them for a lot more than you purchase them for. And so when you do that, when you collect the art, not only do you enable the artist to make more, you also are investing in something that is likely to become more valuable. And so that's the win-win of participating in your local art scene as a fan, as a viewer, and ultimately as a collector. The collector is the most underrated and one of the most valuable parts of any art um, movement. And personally, I'm not a, I'm not a person who likes to go to parties or I'm not trying to fit in with any kind of scene, but I like to go see art. I like to make art. I like to write. I like to think. I like to be creative. And, <clears throat> and yet I also see the value in a scene. And so there is plenty of opportunity for that as well. And the more, you know, I think for people who don't, like to write, who don't like to paint, take photos, but only for personal reasons. Getting out and interacting with people in the art scene and developing an opinion and coming up with an idea as a commission for a painter, for a photographer, hiring people to do your marketing. There's all kinds of ways that you can make the culture that you're a part of more exciting, more dynamic, and ultimately leading towards a history that will create more value. So that, I think, is truly a great thing to do. And you get a lot out of it. You know, in the day of digital media... Having something that you put on your wall that has texture, that has looks different in different light, that sits there for a long period of time and doesn't go away. You know, when you scroll, you give your attention to an image for mere seconds and then it files away in your subconscious somewhere, but you don't have a chance really to contemplate it. You don't have a chance really to experience it in a deep and profound way but when you put it on your wall you look at it during times that you don't even mean to look at it it becomes a part of your visual vocabulary it becomes a part of the world around you and by becoming part of your surroundings that piece all of a sudden starts to speak to you in different ways it reflects different parts of your mood it tells you things that you didn't even know about yourself and they're not even things that you could put into words. They're things that are primary to the experience of language. They're before words. But that's part of what 
the value of being an art collector is, is you get to have that experience of living with art, of feeling the, the vibe of art in an extended, prolonged way. You know, it's like when I go out to scout locations where I want to shoot, I like to do so over a long period of time. So hiking a certain route, when I do it, the more I do it, the more I know where the compositions are, where I want to put a person, where I want to get a landscape photograph. By doing it over and over again, I learn the thing. It's the same as if you read a book just to read it or if you read a book to write about it. The process of studying it helps you to know it much, much better. And when you know it better, it becomes a part of you. You incorporate it into your own being, into your psyche. It's a part of your mind, and it it forms something about the way you think. It enriches your vocabulary. And that's the same with collecting art. Instead of just consuming it as a digital scroller, when you put it on your wall, it becomes something very cool and very lasting and very valuable and meaningful. And so I encourage you all to take advantage of this moment where the art market is still in a beginning phase here in Santa Cruz and buy artwork from artists. You know, I've seen some amazing work that is incredibly affordable. Over the weekend, I went up to Davenport with Bree Carp, oh boy, I'm going to say her name wrong. No, I'm not. Carpavage. With Brie Carpavage. For some reason, I always want to say Carpavage or something stupid like that, but it's Carpavage. Brie Carpavage is a very important part of the art community here in Santa Cruz because she she's the director of First Friday. She does social media for a number of arts organizations and galleries and maybe just gallery but of a gallery that is doing some amazing things and we went up to Davenport to check out the exhibit that is part of the writing on the wall exhibition at the Museum of Art and History here in Santa Cruz and it's a Hank Willis Thomas and Dr. Boz um a writer and teacher of creative writing in the prison system of New York. Together they worked on this project, which is using photocopies and images, photocopied images of the writing done during these creative writing programs to create a, a narrative about prison, about the history of imprisonment. And from a personal, personalized point of view about that. And so this exhibition, this part of that installation is up in Davenport at the old Davenport jail. And they papered the interior of the jail with photocopies of the writings done by prisoners. And <clears throat> outside of the prison, outside of the jail rather, there's a project 
by another artist. It's called Flowers for Incarcerated Mothers. And it's a beautiful garden outside of the jail that attempts to raise awareness about the difficulty and the challenge of being a mother who can't be with her children because she is imprisoned. And it's a very interesting type of art that is very different than most of the art you'll see in Santa Cruz. But it is well worth checking out. And you have to go to it with an open mind. You have to go to it with a mind that is ready to do a little bit of work. Uh, because you have to you have to think. It's not just something that you're going to visually take in and appreciate on the level of aesthetics. Although there are aesthetic qualities to it that are interesting. The more interesting thing, the real value of the work comes from conceptualizing what it's about and thinking about the experience of being incarcerated and why people end up in that position, what forces are acting on them to make their lives, you know, challenging enough that prison becomes an outcome. What it means for somebody who is incarcerated to write, you know, I, so few people in our culture actively write and they have the freedom to do so. And here you see people who are incarcerated and so many freedoms have been taken away from them. And yet here they are putting their thoughts down on the page and finding a type of freedom, the freedom that one achieves through the act of writing, this intellectual, emotional agency of forming thought, externalizing thought, editing thought, inventing ideas that many, many, many people, maybe most people don't do when they have, you know, all the freedom available to the average citizen. So it's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition of freedom, freedom and ability while people who are incarcerated might not have the same types of freedoms, this writing shows that they have other forms of freedom. But you won't get a lot out of it if you go there expecting to see something pretty or beautiful, although the flower garden is, is both of those things. But the writing on the wall is something to think about, something to meditate on, something to, you know, contemplate. So after we went to that exhibit, we crossed the highway, went down to the beach there in Davenport. Davenport is such an interesting place. I haven't been there in a while. And we, you know, we hiked up on the hill there and saw the old whaling pier and it looks to me like big chunks of it have been uh, destroyed you know there i thought that there were three levels of pillars now there's only one and one that's you know barely poking out of the water 
so it was another reminder of how powerfully devastating the storms were this past year. Now that it's summertime and the ocean is relatively calm, it gives me the reminder of how how variable that place is, the Pacific Ocean, and how there was just a long period of time this winter where it was raging, raging, wrathful ocean. And now we see just kind of the shadow of that damage, but it's a moment where we have time to think and time to act. You know, when you're caught in the storm, there's not that much, you're, you're limited in your ability to do things as much. And now that we have some freedom, it seems like we probably won't be thinking about that as much, which is understandable because it's a tough thing to think about. But I believe if we confront those things, we get more power and more agency in the long run. And so that was what I was thinking about is, you know, it was a powerful year of storms. Maybe it's a fluke. Maybe that won't happen again next year. Or maybe that's just, you know, part of the way things are changing and we're going to have to adapt to them and we're going to have to figure out how to mitigate the damage and, you know, maybe correct some of the things we're doing that are leading to the warming of the climate. But, uh, well, there also was a seal that was on the beach, which at first we thought was dead. But then, after looking at the waves for a little bit, we realized it was just napping. And it scooched its way up the beach, and it's, you know, very seal-like, using its fins to sh kind of belly flop its way forward. I went and got some photos of it. As I laid down in the sand to get a better angle of it, it started flopping its way towards me. It didn't get very close. You know, I was definitely going to move and not, I didn't want to bother the seal, but I wanted to get a nice little portrait of it. And uh, I published a blog called Seals of Santa Cruz, which is a parody of my own project, People of Santa Cruz, where I invented some answers to the questions given by the seal, so you can check that out if you're interested. The blog is called Seal Seals of Santa Cruz. It's on jakejthomasphoto.com. And it was, you know, a pretty cool experience just being that close to the seal. Not too close, but close enough to realize that it was paying attention to me and I was paying attention to it. And uh, some people came by and one of them wanted to pet the seal, and I convinced them that it was definitely not a good idea, as the seal had very large teeth. And when the seal got moving, it it got moving. So luckily they didn't go through with that understandable desire to pet this cute-looking creature who really actually has, you know... First of all, they're a wild animal, so 
I was as close as I would want to be to an animal like that. And uh, definitely don't want to be petting those things for their sake and for yours. You know, you don't want to transmit disease. And they're a wild animal that they'll probably bite you. Wouldn't you? I think it's only to be expected. We don't, they're not domesticated, they're wild. Biting is what they do. But it was all in all a fun trip to Davenport. Got to see some of the amazing North Coast landscape that makes this place so incredible, so special. Had a little encounter with some wildlife. Got to see some very interesting contemporary art. And, yeah, so that is what I've been up to here in Santa Cruz lately. As I said this week, I'm going to be interviewing folks from Shakespeare Santa Cruz. Super excited about that. This year they have King Lear, Taming of a Shrew, and The Book of Will. The Book of Will is a play written about the first publication of Shakespeare's plays, the the so-called first folio, put together by some of his friends. Shakespeare didn't publish the plays himself. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that play and learning about what that writer, their writer's take on that process and what that was. King Lear, a powerful tragedy this year is starring Paul Whitworth, one of the great actors Santa Cruz has had the pleasure of viewing over the years. This is his return to Shakespeare Santa Cruz, so I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow. Looking forward to that very much. And it's Mike Ryan's last year as the artistic director of Shakespeare Santa Cruz, and he has done some wonderful things over the time that he's been a part of the company so I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and hopefully this year is going to be very well attended as you know the pandemic was hard on everybody but especially on restaurants and theater on art galleries and you know parts of the culture that make our place so unique so rich and vital And so hopefully that's what we're going to be doing all summer long. Going to the breweries, going to the coffee shops, going to the restaurants, going and checking out the art galleries, going to the plays. Let's do it together, folks. We are going to make this place strong again. And we'll come out the other end of this economic downturn lean and mean and ready to go. So thanks for giving me a listen today. You can check out my website, jakejthomasphoto.com. You can follow me on Instagram at jakejthomasphoto. I'm there there on Facebook as well, jakejthomasphoto. And be sure to check out the People of Santa Cruz blog. If you want to know how to participate, you can email me at jakejthomasphoto at gmail.com. Till next time, peace.